Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to our service this morning. Whether you're here in the building or joining with us online, we pray that God will be with you and that you will feel his presence here as we worship together this morning. If you are here for the first time, we hope you'll feel very much at home with us. We'd love to get to know you and hope you might be able to join us for refreshments through in the hall after our service this morning. My name is Ken Carter, I'm a member of the fellowship here and I'm leading our worship this morning and we're very privileged to welcome Graham Rogerson as our guest speaker. Graham is a training supervisor at the School of Education at the University of Brighton and he will be bringing God's word to us later in the service. Graham, we're delighted to have you with us and look forward to you sharing in our service this morning. So whoever you are and wherever you're from, you are welcome in this place today as part of God's family and we pray, pray that God will bless you in this time together this morning. I need to begin our service with some family news which some of you will already be aware of but perhaps others not and it's with great sadness I have to tell you that Derek Mansbridge passed away in the early hours of Thursday morning after suffering a heart attack during the night. Uh, medical services were present and Janet was also with him when he died. Michael and Tim have both been in contact with Janet and her sisters and her children are with her. It's too early at this stage to give any guidance on funeral arrangements, but these will be communicated in due course. As I'm sure many of you will have noted from this week's bulletin, Derek was due to celebrate his 79th birthday tomorrow. And so we ask for your prayers for Janet and the family at this time as they come to terms with this deep sadness. So with that in mind, I wonder if we can take a moment to pray for them now as we are gathered here this morning. Let's pray together. God of love, God of mercy, we express to you this day our deep sadness at the loss of our dear friend and brother Derek who was such a loved and respected member of our church family. We pray you will wrap your loving arms around Janet, their children and the wider family and make your comfort and presence known to them as they come to terms with the sudden loss of a dearly loved husband and father. Will you hold them close and watch over them in these coming days and may they take comfort from the many joyful memories of Derek's life with them and the certain knowledge that he is now at rest in the presence of the God he served so faithfully. We ask that you will help us as their church family to uphold, support and comfort them in whatever ways we can in the days and weeks to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very conscious that as we come to worship this morning, we, we do so under the rather dark shadow of the atrocities being inflicted in the people and in the country of Ukraine by the Russian regime. Many of us will know personally or will at least be aware of people in our community or in our work or social lives who are directly affected by this horrific situation. And we find ourselves at a loss to rationalize how the leaders of one apparently civilized nation could inflict such violent conflict on another, particularly when that nation seeks only to live in peace. 
I suspect many of us have felt both enraged and helpless in equal measure as we've watched events unfolding over these last weeks on the news. It's a feature of 21st century communications that we're instantly updated on television and social media with what's happening on the ground. I'm sure we've spent much time in prayer in this, about this situation and we may find it difficult to be able to set aside these events to come to worship. How do we bring joyful worship and praise to God when an atrocity such as this is unfolding before our very eyes and we see a whole nation under attack and its people suffering unimaginably? But as Christians, we're called to be faithful, to serve humbly, and to trust God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Because he is almighty. He is all-powerful. And he will bring his justice to this situation in his time and in his way. And so we turn to him at the start of this service by reflecting on the words of Psalm 19 which speak of the wonders of our God and the goodness of his law. And I'm reading from the contemporary English version. The heavens keep telling the wonders of God and the skies declare the glory of what he has done. Each day informs the following day, each night announces to the next. They don't speak a word and there's never the sound of a voice. Yet their message reaches all the earth and it travels around the world. In the heavens a tent is set up for the sun. It rises like a bridegroom and gets ready like a hero eager to run a race. It travels all the way across the sky and nothing hides from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. It gives us new life. His teachings last forever and they give wisdom to ordinary people. The Lord's instruction is right. It makes our hearts glad. His commands shine brightly and they give us light. Worshipping the Lord is sacred. He will always be worshipped. All of his decisions are correct and fair. They are worth more than the finest gold and are sweeter than honey from a honeycomb. By your teachings, Lord, I am warmed. By obeying them, I am greatly rewarded. None of us knows our faults. Forgive me when I sin without knowing it. Don't let me do wrong on purpose, Lord, or let sin have control over my life. Then I will be innocent and not guilty because of some terrible fault. Let my words and my thoughts be pleasing to you, Lord, because you are my mighty rock and my protector. This is the God we worship today. And our opening songs echo the words of the psalmist and invite us to respond and bring our, bringing our own personal praise and adoration and thanksgiving to God for his majesty, for his protection, for his faithful love and grace towards his people throughout time and throughout the world. We'll be singing two songs together, beginning with All Heaven Declares the Glory of the Risen Lord. I invite you to stand or to sit as you feel able. And after we've sung those two songs, Anita is going to sing to us a song that she's written specifically 
for our service today. So let's stand as we worship our God together.
taken care of so please don't worry let's pray shall we loving God we thank you for your love and your care for each one of us we thank you Lord that you have redeemed us and made us your own through Christ Jesus you created the entire universe the skies tell of your glory and the night reveal the magnitude and genius of your creation you brought your people out of slavery and gave them your laws and commandments that they might be rich in spirit and clear in vision. Therefore, though our hearts may be heavy and confused this morning, we offer you thanks and praise this day through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, whose power and majesty and love and mercy and justice transcends all the inhumanity in our world, both now and forevermore. Amen. As you will recall, our whole series of Sunday services up until Easter is centred around the theme of encounters with Jesus. And a bit later in the service, Graham will be focusing on Philip's encounter with Jesus on the occasion that we know well as the feeding of the 5,000. We all have the opportunity to encounter Jesus and be challenged by him in very different ways. When I last led the worship service back in January, I shared a video of a young student called Sarah Campbell, who encountered God whilst working in Starbucks and was led to minister to the deaf community whilst working there, before then being called by God to work in Thailand with victims of human trafficking. Now, Sarah was young, in her early 20s, and I guess there could have been a feeling that it was a good story that invites us to celebrate God at work in a wonderful way in the life of a young and vibrant student, but perhaps wasn't particularly relevant for those of us who are a bit older in years and perhaps more established in our life patterns. Well, the story I'm going to share with you this morning is very different. This story illustrates that no matter who we are, no matter how old we are or where we are, we can still encounter Jesus and be called by him to serve him in ways that we could possibly never have conceived ourselves. So let me introduce you to Betty, who was called by God to begin a whole new ministry in her community at the tender age of just 70 years old. God always does something new and unexpected that we can't even dream or think about hardly. My story begins back in the year of 1995 uh, here in Quincy, Illinois. I had been down to the Salvation Army and after I left there, uh, right across the street is our Adams County Jail. And as I was driving by, I looked up at uh, the screens and the bars on the windows and thought there are women in those jails right now and somehow my heart was sort of softened and saddened by the thought of the women up there and all at once it was like the Lord spoke very clearly to me in my heart and said you've never been to the jail and I said no Lord I haven't 
began to try to justify myself, and I thought, well, Lord, I've helped those who were hungry. I've taken a bowl of soup to the neighbor. And when someone was thirsty, when the garbage man came by in the summertime, uh, we often offered them a drink of cool water. And when somebody was sick, I helped take care of my grandmother during my high school days. And I guess I sort of thought I justified myself before God. And then, just as clearly, the same voice spoke to my heart and said, you have never been to the jail. And I slouched down my seat a little and responded more seriously this time. No, Lord, I haven't. Then I remembered in our trunk, my husband and I had some Bibles that we were using to give to people. And so I went out and got the Bibles and brought them in and left and went on my way home. And I thought, I've done my little thing. I'd been to the jail. But the Lord wouldn't let me go. And this kept coming to my mind again and again that I needed to go in the jail to the women. And then I even began arguing with the Lord, which isn't too smart a thing to do. And I said, Lord, you know I'm getting older. So he didn't know that. And then almost immediately, this message came to my heart as well. I just want you to start this work. I will give you plenty of women and people to help you. Before long, we had a team of 12 women ready to go to the jail, and two of us went every Saturday. We sat out in a walkway in front of the cells on milk cartons, turned upside down, and began to minister to the women. And I think there were two things that we didn't expect, at least that I didn't. I didn't know I could look into a woman's eyes that I had never seen and find out that I loved her. And it wasn't my love, it was Jesus' love flowing through us. And then the second thing that shouldn't have surprised me was that because we were in the jails, we weren't the first ones to visit there. God was already there, waiting for us to come and bring his message of grace and mercy and love to those women. The big thing that we found that they were dealing with was that they were no good. Some of them grew up in bad homes, some of them grew up in good homes, but they did not know Jesus. Some of them didn't know even how to turn to him. But through God's word and his Holy Spirit, we've seen lives changed. And we know that that's what can happen for any woman or any man in any circumstance. As time went by, though, we knew that there were women hurting and that they couldn't make it when they got out. And you know, all of us want a place to lay our heads at night and a place to call home and a place where we can feel safe and secure. And so we began to pray about a house. And so after many years of searching, God, in his miraculous way, sent us funds that we were able to purchase a house. And we actually found a house just right down the street, not very far from the jail, just a few blocks away. And we just are thankful that we have a home that we call the Well House. And it goes with the story in John chapter four, uh, where Jesus met the woman at the well. And she came there for water. And Jesus said to her, I will give you the living water. And this changed that woman's life. And she said, as she left there to go out into her community, come, come and see a man. And he told me everything he knew about me. Come and see, is he not the Christ? And that's what we're saying with our home, with the women that are there. Come and see, is this not the Christ?
is a very remarkable lady and a real inspiration uh, to all of us to respond in our personal encounters with Jesus. We're going to turn now to our reading, which is the, the passage that Graham will be focusing on a little bit later in the service. Um, I'm just going to adjust our order of service slightly, so uh, after our reading, I'm going to invite Pauline to come and bring our prayers of intercession. So our reading this morning is from John chapter 6 and verses 1 to 14. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. This morning we are thinking about how Jesus fed the hungry multitude. In our prayers, let us ask that the starving in this world should be fed. It will take a miracle. But let us be bold and ask for that miracle to overcome the three C's of conflict, climate change and COVID-19. Dear Lord, we ask in unity with your people around the world for a miracle to change these human causes of famine and starvation. We pray for an end to conflicts. Lord, change the hearts of those leaders in countries such as South Sudan, Yemen, Syria, Ethiopia and Myanmar. Particularly, we pray for the country of Ukraine, which supplies wheat to some of these countries. Lord, we cry out for those seeking refuge in adjoining countries. We pray that safe corridors will be provided for these Ukrainian people that corridors will be provided for them and not just talked about. Also, Lord, we thank you for the willingness of European countries near Ukraine to take in the refugees and to give them welcome and safe shelter. May we in the UK also join in this act of compassion. Father, we pray for President Putin, 
not that he will be struck down, but that he will be moved by your spirit, that he will be convicted of his need of the Saviour, that he will come to full repentance and know the power of the living God to turn him away from the evil he is bringing upon the Ukrainian and Russian people. Lord, we long for peace to reign. Make your people peacemakers. Then we pray for those countries experiencing famine through the effects of climate change. And we think particularly of Sub-Sahara Africa, Mozambique and Bangladesh. Lord, you created a perfectly balanced world. Help each one of us to change our lifestyles to help reverse climate change. Then, Lord, we pray for an end to the COVID pandemic. Prompt us to be good neighbours to those countries who are needing vaccines and the infrastructure to protect their people from this virus. And finally, here is a Christian aid prayer. Let us make it our own. When famine stalks the land, nothing grows. Plants cannot, people cannot, ideas and dreams cannot. Everything withers and dies. It is a violent aberration of your will for the world. And it is multiplied now by conflict, climate change and COVID. God of the flourishing field, there is enough to feed us all. Call us to that sacred sharing, neighbour to global neighbour. Your gifts of food, water, a chance to live the life so delicately crafted by your divine spirit. We will not turn away but turn towards each other with generosity and justice-driven compassion that searches for solutions. Famine stalks the land, so may our outrage grow May our determination steel itself. May our solidarity spur us into action. God of the flourishing field, help us feed each other. We pray, Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Darling, thank you for leading our prayers. In a moment, Graham is going to come and bring God's word to us. But before that, we're going to sing again. This is a song that we haven't sung before at Brighton Road, um, although we've included it in our recorded services during lockdown. It's called, O Lord, My Rock and My Redeemer. It links back to the words of our opening psalm. And it's a great song of praise that speaks powerfully of the immeasurable depths of God's love and grace towards us. It's an easy melody. I hope we'll pick it up quickly. But to help us, the worship group are going to sing through the first two verses and then we'll go back to the beginning uh, and join together in worship. Thank you.
time.
Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you this morning, and I am really thankful for having received the invitation to come and share with you. As has been mentioned already, we are going to look at John chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, where you're able to carry on your series of encounters with Jesus, but today we are going to look particularly at the uh, encounter with Philip. So I want you to imagine the group of 12, the team, the ministry team. And if you were asked by name, or if you were asked to name them, who would immediately come to mind, I wonder. Probably you'd start by naming those that you've heard most about, those who have featured perhaps in key incidents in the life of Jesus, people like Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, maybe Thomas, maybe Judas, now, I don't know about you, but for me, Philip might have been there. But if he was, he wouldn't be kind of up there with the first group that came to mind for me. He was one of the, the 12 main disciples of Jesus. And he's only mentioned a handful of times in the New Testament. Seven times in the Gospels and once in Acts. And four of those mentions are just in lists of the Apostles. Something like a register. His only significant mention, or mentions, if you can call a couple of sentences significant, are in the Gospel of John. So with this real lack of information, what exactly do we know? Well, a couple of simple, quick facts, I suppose, are that Philip was one of the people who was chosen, who was closest to Jesus. He spent about three years living with him, witnessing his miracles, hearing his teachings. And he saw on so many occasions that Jesus was divine. He witnessed miracles, he witnessed signs, he saw the wonders. Another simple fact um, was one of the first things that we learn about Philip in the Gospel of John is that like Simon, Peter and Andrew, he originated from the town of Bethsaida, a town by the Sea of Galilee. So, two simple facts. Let's see whether we can kind of build on those a little bit this morning and add a few more snapshots. First one, Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel, and we read right at the beginning of John's Gospel, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, 
he said to him, follow me. Now that could mean, I suppose, that he was seeking him out and then finding him. Could it mean that he knew him or he knew of him and he felt that he was going to be an asset to his team? And then we have the the account that we shared this morning, the feeding of the 5,000, a point where John seems more interested in telling us who said what and then using Philip's answer to kind of set up a um, miracle. Then, in John chapter 12, Philip refers a number of people who were Greek to Jesus. Now, this might seem a trivial detail, but later, when Jesus and the disciples come to Jerusalem, some Greek men from Bethsaida went to see Jesus. And they come to Philip. It's possible that they knew him personally, or perhaps he spoke better Greek than the other disciples. And then in John 14, a passage that would be familiar to many here this morning. We read of Jesus telling the disciples that he is preparing a place for them and that they know where he's going. You know, frequently, the disciples would not know fully what Jesus was talking about. And on those occasions, one of them often stuck their then their neck out to ask a kind of clarifying question. And on this occasion, Thomas asks, how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? And then there's a kind of back and forth thing going on, and in the middle of it, somewhere, Philip says, I don't even care about the details. Just seeing the Father will be enough for us. So that's Philip. And here we are at this next stopping point in the Encounter series. I think it's a fantastic title for a, um, a series of, of addresses, a series of themes for worship, and of course, you and I know that the world has really capitalised on that word encounter for film titles, for book titles. And, and I don't think that's surprising because the word itself speaks, I think, of a significant happening. And then it kind of conjures up the idea that there will be something more after that initial meeting. So this man Philip, that we now conclude we know so little about, is to be our main man for our consideration this morning, for this next stopping point in the series. And what I want to do, I just want to look at, at three kind of things that follow on one from another. I want us to look at the setting where the encounter took place, the kind of context. I want us to look at the encounter itself, what happened 
and are there any significant points for us today? And then to examine what that encounter led to. What followed on from that exchange between Jesus and Philip? What did the encounter give birth to? And I suppose you could say, what was the fruit of the encounter? And along our journey this morning, I think that we will gain the most benefit from this exploration if we can try to apply the key points to our own lives in a practical way. So that in the end, we can say, I went to church this morning and I had an encounter with Jesus and that encounter in my life has given birth to. That's where I would like this to go today. So look at the context. In terms of place, they were on the far shore of Lake Galilee, out in the country, no facilities to speak of, we assume. Great crowd of people. How are we measuring the, the crowd of people? Are we, are we 5,000 men? Are we 5,000 men plus women? plus children, a number that could be expanded and contracted according to various um, interpretations. But I think today we just need to capture the fact that there were lots of people. These people were there because the great teacher was around. He'd been performing miracles and they wanted to see more. They had a thirst for what Jesus could do. They had a thirst for the wisdom that he could impart. And it's hard to say, really, whether their understanding would be the same as our understanding. Because we have a kind of advantage in that we're able to look back with a kind of hindsight and, and put other things together to, to, to make a, a broader picture. But thinking of the disciples, including Philip, I'm sure that they would have had a greater, greater understanding of what was going on because they were that core group that had been with Jesus constantly over a period of time when they've been able to witness events, to be part of conversations, and they, they, there was so much of, of, of what was going on that should have been building in their lives to develop their understanding. Now, what happened in this encounter? If we, when we try and put the pieces together and use the other Gospels to help us, we find that the exact location was in the vicinity of Bethsaida. There are those that say that the location is relevant because that might be why Jesus chose Philip to, uh, to ask the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Because he originated from the area. Was Jesus thinking, well, if anybody knows the answer to this, he will know. But then we read... 
that Jesus already knew the answer to this question and that he was only asking Philip to test him because all the while he knew what he was going to do. And I think this whole testing thing here is quite interesting. Why might he have been doing that in, a, in the world that we move and live in? Why are people tested? A whole range of interpretations. What's the purpose of testing? What was, was there any purpose on this occasion? Now, I've spent years of my life testing others in the educational setting. We test to check what someone knows. We test to help them make progress because they can then identify where they've gone wrong. We test to build confidence. We test to do this. We test to do that. So why would he ask Philip this question? I think he certainly knew, in a practical sense, that there was no rational way to feed all of these people in this very remote area. No Sainsbury's there, no Asda there. We need to understand that for most of the last three years, Jesus was delivering a kind of accelerated course of teaching to this small group of men to prepare them for their future ministry. And I wonder whether he looked at this as part of this course and as a real teaching opportunity for them. On-the-job training, Philip and the other disciples were about to receive a new lesson. And here comes the answer that Philip gave. 200 denarii would not be enough for each of them to get a little. To get a little. And there we have it. The question and the answer in the encounter. A practical, common sense type of answer from Philip. But an answer where we don't see Philip drawing upon his previous experiences of being with Jesus. We don't see him drawing upon the miracles he's seen, the faith which perhaps would have been building in his life. Wouldn't you think that one of the first things that would come to, to the mind of Philip was, well, you can do something about this. Because we've seen you do this, and we've seen you do that, and we've seen you do something else. You could do something about this. But Philip thought in terms of money and how much money it would be, uh, would be needed to carry out God's work in that situation. But actually, it wasn't just God's work. It was act just to carry out God's work in a small way. It wasn't saying that if you spend this money, they, they will all be able to eat their fill. He's saying if you spend this money, they'll each be able to have just a little. And how often, I asked the question this morning, and I ask it to myself as well, how often do we align ourselves to this kind of approach where we actively limit God when we are brought into the orbit of something when we need to be part of a solution. 
When we come up with a solution to something that we need to do for God, which is grounded in the practicalities of life, as opposed to being grounded in the boundless limits of God. He was a man of figures. I wonder if today he would be the sort of person that would put things into tables and spreadsheets. But he will lead out the vital factor of the power of Jesus. And it's, very, it's said that he, he, was, he was a kind of matter-of-fact person. Lord, in John chapter 14, verse 8, show us the Father and that will be enough. The, the verse that I mentioned earlier. I would suggest that he does what we do so often. Look to carry out God's work in a small way. Believing that God's power is limited. He was asked what needs to be done in this project, this feeding project for the Lord, but he appeared to leave out this kind of Jesus factor. But we need to look and say this isn't the way. This isn't the way to do it. When we have the encounter, the encounter will always give birth to something. We can mistakenly, I think, have a view that encounters with Jesus are linked to big occasions. Perhaps um, looking at events like this in Scripture cause us to, to, to think along those lines. But encounters with Jesus for you and I are many and they aren't just to be linked to big occasions if you call coming to church on a Sunday a, a, a big occasion they can happen here they do happen here but they happen when we're doing some of the seemingly small things they happen when we pray when we're having that quiet time with the Lord, when we're walking along the road, when, we, when other, we're meeting with others and we engage with conversation, when we're reading the Bible, encounters with Jesus, things in the everyday where the Lord makes his will known and there is that coming together between ourselves and the Lord. That encounter that gives birth to something. And so what did this one give birth to? It gave birth to a plan. When Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a boy here that's got five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And they were looking at a massive feeding program. But the plan to tackle it was birthed at the encounter. And it turned out to be something that eventually was well executed, precise and ordered and had a great result. Now you and I know, if you've been around in, in the, the Christian world for a time, you and I know what happened next. You've heard it hundreds of times before, I would imagine. 
And so I'm not going to run through that this morning because you know it. And there are, you know, there are people, it's been covered in sermons and by commentators over the years and they've said, you know, was this actually a miracle? Couldn't it have just been one person who got out their sandwiches and that prompted somebody else to get theirs out and then they all shared it and, and then somebody else said this and somebody else said that. I'm not going to dig into this other than to say that Andrew set the plan in motion and the Lord made sure it happened. But what I do want to focus on is that when we have an encounter with Jesus, any encounter, that should birth a plan that demands our involvement. It's us being the hands and feet of Jesus, allowing the Lord to work in us, allowing the, the Lord to work through us, that will deliver for God. It's all about building things that will last for the kingdom. Now, I saw on the news um, a couple of weeks ago the report of the death of a young man, 31 years of age, called Jamal Edwards. I'd never heard of him before. He was a DJ, he was a music entrepreneur, he was awarded the MBE for his. Uh, work, not a Christian as far as I'm aware, but when he died, there was a, a flood of tributes from key people in the music industry stating that their encounters with him were positively life-changing. The, the, the singer-musician Ed Sheeran said, if it wasn't for him, I would not be here. But what really caught my attention was something that this young man said during his lifetime. He said, the goal isn't to live forever, but to create something that will. The goal isn't to live forever, but to create something that will. And we can do that when we birth a plan that the Lord reveals to us following an encounter with him. We each shared in that um, video clip this morning the prison ministry of um, Betty, an encounter with God as she was driving past the prison where she developed that, or the Lord sort of prompted her to develop that seed of an idea. And... Um, you can see how it gradually built and she kind of mapped this out. And all the time she was not taking it far enough. Well, I'll drop the Bibles off to kind of justify that she'd be. But the Lord wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted more. But that more was birthed in that encounter with Jesus that plan was birthed when she had that encounter with Jesus as she was driving past the prison. And notice, as, as Kenneth said this morning, that uh, that plan wasn't age-dependent because the plans that God wants us to be part of are not age-dependent. It wasn't qualifications-dependent because the plans that God wants us to be part of are not qualifications-dependent. 
The plans which God is inviting us to be part of need to be God-dependent. And we saw what happened 20 years later. There's a house for, for the women to go to on discharge. And just imagine how many lives have been changed because of that encounter that she had with the Lord on that drive along the road. Now, I was particularly interested in this. Some of you know that I worked in full-time ministry with the Salvation Army for over 20 years. And after having served for about 10 years, I was appointed to the city of Durham in the, in the northeast. And with the appointment to the Salvation Army Church there, I received an appointment to the prison chaplaincy team at Durham Prison. And I can honestly say that my movement into that world was nothing like Betty's. It was not born out of any kind of personal desire or conviction. And it had nothing initially to do with any kind of personal encounter. And if truth be known, if there was anywhere that I would rather not be, it was there. But I was there because I was directed to be there. And in fact, I clearly remember on my first day, moving through that series of gates and into the heart of the prison, how difficult that was for me. My encounter, though, that I did have when I was in there, birthed the plan that later showed me what the Lord could do by using me in that setting. What I could do, what I should say, how I should act. And, it, and it's interesting, and I'll say this in, 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 as I conclude this morning, it's interesting that your invitation for me to come here and share with you this morning has come at a time for me of, of personal seeking and searching. And that seeking journey, for me just now, is still, uh, it's ongoing. It's still in progress. But I want to share with you a little bit of that journey and where I'm up to. And I think personally, over the last few months, I've, I, I, I've, I've been coming out of a, a dead time. Not a leaving the Lord time, not a time of withdrawing from religious life, just a dead time, perhaps a marking time period. Some personal events in my life highlighted that I really needed to break this cycle and I really needed to make a plan. And part of that plan, for me, was to engage in seeking and searching out how I should involve the Lord more in what is going on in my life. And I suppose that seeking and searching has resulted in a series of mini-encounters that are all beginning to join up together. Now, I'm not a musician, 
I know enough to get by. And my Christian life has never been one where I've used, to, on a, in a massive way, Christian songs and singers to actively minister to me. But in my current seeking and searching in recent weeks, I have come across a young singer from the United States who, when singing, would actively share testimony and explain the songs. And this young man, called David Archuleta, he talks about having a dream while he was praying one evening. And the Lord coming to him in that dream, a kind of encounter experience, and telling him to wake up and write down the words of the prayer together with the music. And he put it together into a song. And he's actually made it into a children's book. Because eventually, he said, I think this would be so useful to, to, to help children when they pray. And I thought to myself, help children when they pray. It is so useful to me. It is, and it has been so useful to me. Just a simple song with a simple three, three verses. And the verses of that prayer hold for me some key statements. One which says, Heavenly Father, I am grateful. I'm beginning to understand that for me you have a plan. Sometimes I'm afraid and I know that's lacking faith. I'm learning every day that I won't always have my way. And I've had a positive encounter through those words, and I was so grateful for them coming to me at this time of need, reminding me that there's a plan for me just now. And that's my journey so far. And, and for me, that I know that plan is, is going to uh, it, it, it is going to be highlighted properly and shown to me. But this isn't about me. I share that with you just to show that. I can really identify with, with each one of you this morning who are encountering, encountering God in the everyday and putting his plan for your life into action or still waiting for that plan to be born. Things to remember. An encounter with God will always give birth to something. Those encounters will not always happen in the big occasions. We shouldn't restrict God we should involve him. And the disciples are not the only ones on an accelerated learning course. We should be as well. Because we've got something to do for God. And like Jamal Edwards, our goal is not to live forever, but as we do live, to create something that will. And we will do that we will do that by following the plan that is birthed as we encounter God. Now, 
I just want us to look at a verse. And I mentioned that this morning. That's the book. And that's the verse. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your eternal presence. I'm learning to be patient and that you are really there. Sometimes I am afraid and I know that's lacking faith. But I'm beginning to understand that for me you have a plan. Father God, birth within every heart and mind here today what your plan is. We've had the encounter with you this morning. Help us to go forward, being your hands and your feet. Amen. Graham, thank you for sharing so powerfully with us this morning. We're going to stand and sing our closing song, which looks towards the fulfilment of that plan that God has for each of us. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved ones bringing. Glorious Jesus, this Saviour is mine. This is the Jesus we encounter in our worship and in our daily lives. Let's worship him as we close our service.
May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and in seeing believe. Amen. May God bless you as you go into this week.